you turn with me in your Bible to first, Second Samuel, rather, Second Samuel chapter twelve, we'll get there in just a few minutes. Uh, we've been uh, in this series called "Do It With Me." Hashtag Squad Goals. Do it again. Hashtag Squad Goals. That's how I have to do it. We've been talking about the relationships that we need in our life, and and last week we talked about the fact that God has called us to be more than just witnesses. Now, a witness is just that. It's someone who witnesses something. They stand on the outside of the situation, and they look in, and they witness what is happening in the people's lives around them. And I do believe we've been called to be more than just witnesses. We made up this new word last week. We called it witnesses because God has called us to walk the journey with people. And so we want to be more than witnesses. We want to be witnesses, and we want to walk the journey in, in people's lives with them. And one of the greatest ways that you can do that, maybe you would say, I don't have those relationships. I need those relationships. I encourage you, jump in a life group as soon as you possibly can. It'll give you the wonderful opportunity to walk the journey with someone. And so I, I encourage you, and there's no time like the present. I don't know what we're waiting for. Let's jump into a life group because life change happens in the context of meaningful relationships. And maybe you would sit back and say, I don't know, Pastor, I don't have those meaningful relationships. That's a great place for you to find them. And if you're not ready for those meaningful relationships, that life group, you're not quite ready for that next step, I'd encourage you to come on Wednesday night. We have a large group Bible study. We have uh, things for all of our kids and our students, but we have something for our adults as well. It meets right here in this room on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. It'd be a great next step for you. And so if you want more information about those opportunities, go to our website, discovernorthpark.com, and click the Grow button, and all that information will be there for you. And I want to invite you specifically this Wednesday night, because we've got a great thing happening. We've got a partnership with Foundation Restoration, a nonprofit that makes a, a huge investment in marriages and families in our community. And they partner with us right here at North Park Church and help us lead our marriage ministry. And they are hosting an event this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We're calling it a couple's prayer night. It's going to be a time of worship. We're going to take communion together. We're going to have an opportunity to pray over your family. Uh, so the couples, we encourage you to come and be a part of that. Uh, if you're single and you want to be in a relationship, uh, all of our singles are going to meet on that side of the room. And by, no, I'm just kidding. We can, you can if you want to. Um, but uh, but we, we would love, even if you would say, hey, I'm not married, I'm not in a, in, a, in a relationship right now, but there are people in your life that you'd like to pray for. You just believe in the power of marriage and the, and, and, and the foundation that it is in our community, and you would say, hey, we just want to come and support those. So I encourage you to come out this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So let's dive in this morning. Squad goals number two. I read a book a few years ago, and, and I went back to it this week. And it was called 11 Essential Relationships You Can't Be Without. 11 Essential Relationships That You Can't Be Without. And it's basically a squad, squad goals handbook is what it is. And it talks about the fact that not everybody in your life can fill all these different roles that you need in relationships. And, and maybe we would say, I don't need a bunch of friends, I just got one really good close friend. Well, that's great. I've heard people say, if you've got one great friend, you've got more than most people. And that is a true statement because most people don't have deep, meaningful relationships. But I also understand that it takes different people to fulfill different responsibilities and needs in your life. Does that make sense? 
And, and he even argues in the book that everybody needs a Yoda. I like that. Everybody needs a Yoda. And what he means by that is everybody needs a short person that makes you feel tall, is what that, no. It, it, it means everybody needs a mentor, everybody needs a coach, everybody needs somebody investing in their life. So it got me thinking, well, what other types of people do I need in my life? I need a Yoda. I thought, you know what I need? I need a Chuck Norris. I need a Chuck Norris in my life. I need somebody who's got my back, amen? You need somebody who can do a roundhouse kick every now and then for you. You need that. And then I thought, you know what, I also need a Bruno Mars. I need somebody who can dance and make it fun, but I also need somebody who loves me just the way I am. You know what I mean? And so there's all these different types of people that we do need in our life that fulfill these different needs that, that, that we have. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'm going to show you a different type of relationship. And I pray you have this type of relationship. And so let's dive in and discover this very important squad goal that we need in our life. And, and here's what 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 says. It's a lengthy passage, so just stay with me. Pinch the person about halfway through so they don't sleep. So the Lord sent Nathan. Everybody say Nathan. I'll, I'll involve you in it. Everybody say Nathan. Nathan was a prophet. And he goes in to talk to King David. Now, we know who King David is. This is the guy that God anointed as king of Israel. We also know this is the same guy who killed Goliath. There was a lot of high points in David's life. In fact, I love David. I'm doing a study just personally in my own life on, on David's life because I learned so much from him. And, and I love the fact that he is a person described, here it is, how would you like this description? A man after God's own heart. Now, wouldn't that be a great description? But not everything in David's life was a highlight reel. There were some very low moments, and you're about to see and be brought into one of those such encounters. Because David made some pretty bad mistakes. The Bible tells us that, that he was standing up on a rooftop overlooking and, and, and saw this woman named Bathsheba and she was taking a bath. And, and the Bible says he lusted after her and, and had her brought to him. And he had a sexual relationship with her and she got pregnant. And, and, and the problem was she had a husband and, and the husband served in David's army. And so David had to cover this up. It was a big conspiracy. He sends Uriah, her husband, to the front lines of battle to make sure that he loses his life. He conspires to have her husband killed, and he is killed. And so then he brings Bathsheba in to be his wife, and then she gives birth to a son, and nobody knows about it. That sounded like a movie, didn't it? That sounded like something I saw last night on primetime. And, and, and that's what we see right here in David's life. And the thing about it is, he got away with it. Nobody knew it. Everything is fine, and he thought he tied up all the loose ends, and everything's good. Everything worked out the way it was supposed to. He got away with his sin until this moment. And so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story, and this is what he does. He walks in and tells him there were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb he had brought, uh, bought, and he raised the little lamb, and it grew up with his children, and it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like his baby daughter. Brother liked his sheep, okay? And, and, and one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, and instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, and he killed it and prepared it for his guests. And in that moment, David was furious. He's listening to this story. He's furious. And this is what he says. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die, he must repay back four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then look at verse 7. 
Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't have been enough, King David, I would have even given you so much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you've despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Verse 11 says, this is what the Lord says. Because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. And he will go to bed with them in public view. And look at verse 12. You did it in secretly. But I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. That's a very difficult conversation to have with the king. I mean, can you imagine the fear that Nathan must have had when God says, All right, Mr. Prophet, I got a job for you. I'm going to reveal something to you, and I need you to be my spokesperson. I need you to go visit the king, and I need you to point out his sin. And, and I need you to tell him what it is that he's done wrong and that there's going to be punishment to follow. Can you imagine what that conversation must have been like? Because I don't know if you've seen the movies that I do. When there's a loose end that has to be tied together, like this is the only loose end. This is the only man standing in the way of David and nobody knowing what he did. You can only imagine that Nathan was terrified that the king was going to take his life. He did. Instead of David lashing out at Nathan and tying up this one loose end so that he can keep his story and his conspiracy intact, instead, the Bible tells us that David repented. He cried out to God for forgiveness. And he started down a painful road of recovery and restoration. Why? Because this wasn't the first time Nathan had ever had a conversation with David. That's why. This wasn't just some person in David's kingdom trying to point out his error of his ways. This wasn't somebody just lashing out on Twitter. This wasn't somebody just keeping up with him on Facebook. This was a person who was a witness to David. This was a person who walked with David. This is a person who David trusted and who constantly gave him advice and constantly spoke truth in his life. Here's what I want you to see. Nathan earned the right to speak life into David because he had invested in that relationship. And as a result of that relationship, it turned the heart of the king back to his heavenly father. Here's what I want you to see this morning. You need that type of person in your life. And there will come a time when you need to be that person for somebody else. Who is the one person in your life who can speak truth into your life and you listen to what they say and you're able to adapt and change to make sure that your life glorifies God and you don't continue down this path that you've been going down? Do you have that person? I want today's message to be so practical for you. So I want you thinking right now, who is that person who has earned the right to speak whatever they need to in your life because it's the truth? Do you have somebody who can look at you and say, hey, dude, you're being a jerk. Do you have that? 
I remember when I was in the 11th grade, something happened. I, I was an upperclassman. I had bought a white pair of Levi jeans, and I was wearing a black shirt with white polka dots, and I was walking around with a gold chain like I was somebody. I know that doesn't sound impressive to you, but in my school, that was very impressive. Or at least I thought it was. And when I was a freshman, um, there was a teacher who had come into our school. She was teaching math. Her name is Miss Rogerson. And her first year of teaching math was my freshman year of high school. So we kind of started right there together. And we just all just loved Miss Rogerson. She was so cool, man. We, her, her husband was great. Her kids were great. It was just, we, we all just, we just fell in love with her. She was such a role model to us. And, and she became that that Yoda figure to us, if you will. And she just really spoke life into us. So every day, my whole group of friends, we'd go hang out with Miss Rogerson in her class. And then when, when I went to 10th grade, she moved up to the next math class. And then when I went to the 11th and 12th grade, she was my same math teacher for four years. You know, my parents were like, did you fail? Did you fail? Is that why you keep having her? But no, she was going, moving up with us. And, and she would just speak such truth into our life. And I, I'll never forget, I walked in her classroom as, a, as, a, as an upperclassman. I'm, I'm, I'm a big man on campus now. And when I walked in, my buddies came in, she stopped them and she was like, no, 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 you guys are going to have to wait outside. I need to talk to him. And I went, ooh, that's, that doesn't sound good. And, and she shut the door and she turned around and she just glared at me, y'all. And she said, I just want you to know you are a jerk. I don't know who this guy is that you've turned into, but where's that ninth grade boy who walked in my classroom that everybody loves on this campus? I want him back because that young man's making a difference in the world. I don't know who this guy is, but he's acting like a jerk right now. You know what I did? I cried. I just broke down. I was like, oh my God. You know, I just started crying. I lost it. And, and she was right. We need people in our life who can look at us from time to time and say, yo, you were acting like a jerk. And if you routinely run into a jerk three or four times a day, you're the jerk, okay? It's, it's, it's maybe you. But we need somebody in our life who can speak to us when we're not chasing Jesus. We need somebody who can be honest. There's another um, description of this encounter in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 15 through 16, and it gives us kind of a little different slant and insight into what happens. And verse 15 says, so Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in the vision. And then this next verse gives, gives his response. It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and You know, we, we, get, we get upset when people tell us what we don't want to hear. I mean, we, we get upset when people tell us the truth. But we need to hear it. And we can either receive it and decide to do something about it, or we can cock an attitude, cash me outside, how about that, and just kind of go on with our life. I've been trying to work that into a message for the past four weeks. I've been sitting on that one. But we need somebody who can bring our heart back to the feet of our Father. And I don't know why it is. Man, we lose our minds sometimes. I, I do. I, I lose my minds in athletic events. I, me and Brad, I don't know what it is. There's something about watching my son play a game that just, I lose my mind. And, and I forget I'm, I'm a pastor. I forget I'm a Christian. I, I just, there's something about, it's like when I pay that money at the door, it's like I leave it all behind. And, and I, we were at a particular AAU event, it was last season, and, 
and um, I don't know what happened. The, the referee did something I didn't like, and, and, and I blacked out. There was, there was a moment of consciousness that was lost, and there are a few minutes that I can't get back, and I don't, I don't know what happened. I, I just remember coming to my senses, and I was standing on the floor beside the scorer's table. I am not the coach. I should not have been out of the stands. And the only thing that kind of got me back was my wife had, was tugging at my shirt, asking me to please sit down, you know. And then I sit down, and everybody's going, good job, Pastor. Good job. That was great. You know, and I'm just like, man, why is it that, that we lose it sometimes? And whether we like it or not, we are all guilty of stepping outside of the boundary lines. And we need somebody who can bring us back to the place of safety that we need to be. In Christian circles, we call this accountability. That's what we call it. That we all need some accountability. It's real popular for men and men's groups. We need accountability partners. But I love what Joe Meyer says in his book, Organic Community. He argues for a different concept. And he uses the word editability. And I love that. Because accountability is all about pointing out somebody's wrongs and keeping a record of wrongs. But, but Paul says we don't keep record of wrongs. And so I love this idea of editability because an editor speaks into your life and offers support. An editor helps you understand better and isn't afraid to, to use the red pen when they need to. Do you remember the red pen? Do you remember that? Do you remember in, in, in English class submitting a paragraph or an essay or a paper and you would get that research paper back and it looked like your teacher had murdered somebody and the blood dripped down on your paper? Do you remember that? And, 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 it, and if you were like me, it made you mad. I, it made me angry. And I don't know why it made me angry. And I guess it was because I felt like I was perfect and my work was perfect and it certainly didn't need you to tell me how it could be different. You know what I mean? You need to mind your own business, you know? And, and so uh, I, I would get angry and I would be embarrassed and, and I, I, I would get very frustrated like my teacher existed to make my life miserable. But the more that I think about this concept of an editor, what, what, that, what that was basically saying, those marks on that paper, even all those red inks, on my paper. You know what that teacher was saying? The teacher was saying, you know what? Somewhere in here, there's some good stuff. There, there's some good stuff here, and you know what? It's good enough that maybe even the whole world needs to hear it. But could it possibly be said in a more effective way where someone can understand it a little bit better? And, and I think when we have an editor in our life, it's not just about pointing out things that we do wrong, but it's saying, you know what? You have so much potential. You have so many things that you can do to change the world and make it a better place. There's so many things that you can do to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be who it is that God's called you to be. But is it possible that there's a better way that you could treat people? Is it possible that, that there's something you could do that will help you be more impactful in this area of your life? Is it possible that there's somewhere in, in your character and your integrity where you can be a better follower of Jesus? And as an editor, I just want to help you do that and be who it is that God's called you to be. But if we don't open ourselves up to those people and give them an opportunity to speak truth into our life, we're never going to be who it is that God wants us to be. I was in a conversation with my wife a few days ago, and, and I was just casting vision to her. Because if, if my wife thinks my ideas are great, you'll think they're amazing, okay? And so she's kind of that first level of, of my editing. 
And so we were riding down the road, and I just started laying out, hey, baby, here's some plans I'm thinking about for this year, next 10 years, just casting vision. And I said, tell me what you think. Honestly, tell me what you think. And she said, well, you know, I, I think we probably should do this a little bit different. I don't really think this will turn out the way you think it will. And, and I don't really know exactly how this, this would be good. And, and I think this would really help people and this would really help the church. But, but, but right here, I don't know. You know what she was doing? Taking my dreams and crushing my dreams and stabbing my heart and slashing it up. And you know what I did? I got mad. And I and and I don't I don't I don't lash out. I pout. That's what I do. I'm just being honest. I'm I'm not a spewer. I'm a stewer. And I was sitting on that side of the car, and I started driving faster. You know, and got quieter. And she's like, "You you seem like you're frustrated right now." I'm not fine. Everything's good. So I pouted for about 20 minutes. And then finally I was like, you know why I'm pouting right now? Let me tell you why. Because I laid my dreams out to you. I poured my heart out to you. And your first response was to just rip it up and tell me how I was wrong, you know? And she's like, I thought you would in my advice. I was like, no, no, no. I want you to just tell me some good things first. Like, give me some positive reinforcement before you start spreading my dreams, you know? And, and, and she was like, well, okay, I can flower you if you need flowering, you know what I mean? Well, thank you, that would be very helpful. You know? But as I was thinking about this editing concept, I thought, you know, I went back to that experience with my wife. And you know what the problem was? The problem was I didn't want her feedback. I didn't want her to tell me that I needed to do it different. I just wanted her to sit there and tell me how awesome she thought I was. That's what I wanted. I wanted somebody to just tell me how great my idea, I want her to sit back and go, honey, it's, 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 it's like God is speaking to you. When I kiss your face, it's like kissing the face of God. Like that's what, that's what I wanted to hear. I didn't want her to tell me I was, I was wrong or that it could have been better. And, and so I guess what I'm saying was we don't want to be editable. We don't want, it. We don't want somebody to tell us the truth because it's a very difficult thing to hear. But we're never going to be further down the road in our relationship with God or in any other area of our life if we don't allow somebody to speak into those areas, even if it's difficult or not what we want to hear. And there are a lot of things that will keep us from having those conversations. Your husband pouting will be one of them. Uh, other things, we'll start beginning to rationalize, well, what's the use in saying anything? They're not going to listen anyway. Or who am I to confront? I don't have it all together myself. Why should I say anything? I don't want to risk pushing that person away. I'm not even sure what I would say. But like we talked about last week, not saying something just isn't an option. How often do we hold on to things in our hearts because we don't want to have a difficult conversation? I mean, just think about it. How many relationships do you have in your life right now that you know you need to have a difficult conversation, but you're not because you're afraid the outcome is going to be in a way that you don't want it to be, or, or you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. And so we just sit on it. You know what happens? That stuff piles up. It piles up. It's like garbage that piles up, and the longer that it stays, the worse the stench becomes, and your relationship be begins to become toxic. Unresolved conflict will make your relationship toxic. When I was a kid, one of my jobs was I was supposed to take trash out. 
and we lived in, in kind of a rural area, and, and if, if you didn't get the trash in the can, some critter was going was gonna to open the bag, and the trash was going to be everywhere. Anybody grow up like that? And you'd have to go out there and, and clean all that stuff up. It used to make me so mad. And so I took some trash out, and I knew it wasn't going to fit in the trash can, and I didn't know what to do with it, and I thought, well, I, I'm just going to put it in the shed. And so I opened the door of the shed, and I put a bag of trash in there, and I closed the door, and I went back in and completely forgot about it. It was the middle of the summer. <clears throat> it was 1,000 degrees in that shed. I don't know how many days went by, but I know when my dad found it, he was not a happy camper, you know. And so he calls me, and we walk out to the shed together, which is never a good walk. And, and I get out there, and he's like, why don't you go ahead and open the door? And I'm like, I talking about what are we doing and I just open the door you'll see and so I open the door and y'all it was the worst stench I have ever smelled in my life he's like go ahead and pick it up go ahead you got to take it out this is your job and you put it in here and you just chose not to deal with it and and so I reached down and when I picked up that bag mm, the whole bottom fell out and when it did there was maggots and it was I, I'd never even seen one before. I'd always heard. I never knew what it was. And I'm like, I don't even, I know my mom was cooking sometimes bad, but whoa, what is that? I'm just kidding. My mom's watching. I'm just kidding. And, 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 and it, was, it was rotten, and it was toxic. And then what was left to clean up was so much worse than that bag of trash that I had to deal with in the beginning. See, unresolved conflict has that same effect on our relationship. And that's why Jesus gives these instructions, all right? This is what Jesus says, all right? He says in Matthew 5, 23, he says, if you're offering a gift and you're offering a sacrifice at the altar, so we're at church together and we're worshiping, we got our praise on. Band singing, we're praising the Lord, we're dancing back and forth and we're worshiping. And Jesus says, and there in that moment, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So he's saying in the middle of that moment of worship, you all of a sudden remember that there is an unresolved conflict in your life. This is what he says. He says, you're going you're gonna to first leave your gift there, right there in the altar. Just stop. Stop your worship. Stop your singing. Stop your dancing. Stop your worship. Just stop right there. Go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Why would God, who, who created us to worship him in the first place, when we're actually doing what we were created to do, why on earth would our Heavenly Father say, hey, no, 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 I don't want you to do that right now. I want you to stop what you're doing, stop what you were created to do, and go work that out, then come back and offer me this gift. Let me tell you why. Because we can't chase after God with everything in our heart if we're holding to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and unresolved conflict in our life. There's no way in the world we can chase God like that. And he wants us to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And if we're holding on to anger and bitterness and this unresolved stuff in our life just because we're afraid to have a difficult conversation, he knows he's not getting the worship that he deserves and desires. So he says, just take a pause button and go deal with that stuff. And, and I know we walk in the door and we put a big smile on our face. And we try to make like everything's okay. And we will actually do the right things on the outside all the while on an inward level. We got a lot of stuff to deal with. So we're singing with our hands to the heavens. 
alive in your presence. Oh God, would you come? Would you pour out your wrath on my husband, Joe? Because he's acting like a jerk. You know, like that. it's like it doesn't make sense, right? Like what's coming out of our mouth and what's in our heart are two completely different things. And, and I think, I, I honestly feel, it's not that we want that stuff to be there. We don't want our relationship to be toxic. We, we don't want to do something that we know is going to consciously hurt our relationships. None of us would do that. We don't want to sabotage our own relationship. We wouldn't do that. I think the thing is, we just don't know what to do. We, we don't know how to have that conversation. We, we don't know how to go about fixing that thing. And so we just ignore it and hope it's just going to get better miraculously. And then it doesn't happen. It just gets worse. Moment by moment, offense by offense, and that stuff just begins to pile up. And so let me give you a very practical tool that you can put in your tool belt that will work in every relationship you have. And here it is. If you don't write down anything else I say today, I want you to write this down. It's called the R3 principle. You will have conflict no matter where you are in life. And it's because we have different opinions and different ideas. And it doesn't matter if you're in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship or, or, or parents and children or co-workers or, 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 or classmates or right here in church. It doesn't matter. Wherever people take up the same space, there's going to be some conflict from time to time. And I think unity is one of the most incredible things, and we fight for it like crazy at this church. We, we think that unity is so important to the body of Christ that we teach these principles in our connect lunch that we're going to have this afternoon. We, we want the first experience that someone comes into our church and begins to discover what this church is all about. We want them to know that there's a right way to deal with conflict, and there is a way to maintain unity in the body of Christ, and we're going to do everything we can to protect it. Here's why. And we talk about it in our lead team meetings, in staff meetings. We talk about R3 all the time. Because I know when you apply these principles, it will strengthen any relationship in your life. Well, what is it? R3 is simply this. Right time, right place, right speaker. If you need to have a difficult conversation, it's the exact same model that Nathan followed when he approached the king. It works in your marriage relationship, any other area of your life. If you'll approach it in the right time, in the right place, in the right spirit, there is nothing that you can't get through together. And it'll strengthen your relationship, not cause a greater divide. What is the right time? It means just be sensitive about when you have that conversation. We don't bombard. We don't ambush. We set up a time. Have a conversation when you're in a place in, in your mind and heart to be able to get to the heart of the issue. The second thing is right place. Make sure that it's a private conversation, not in a place that's going to embarrass somebody. It's not going to be in front of other coworkers. It's not going to be in front of another couple, you know. Isn't that the worst thing in the world? You're out with a bunch of people and this, this husband and wife or this couple over here are fighting. And it just like kills everybody else. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I would never have a conversation with my wife like that in public. I, 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 she would never do that to me. Why? Because I would never want to embarrass my wife. I wouldn't want my wife to embarrass me. There's a right time and there's a right place to have a difficult conversation. And then the third thing is, in that right spirit, make sure that you don't come at this with an attitude. Make sure that you don't come at this with, with I just got to prove my point, and I want them to see where it is that I'm coming from. 
Instead, it comes from the right spirit. And the right spirit is understanding that the goal of a difficult conversation is never to expose or condemn, but to reach out and restore. Man, we don't deal with conflict if our goal is trying to punish or revenge, but instead our goal is to build and and to respond from a place of love. And and maybe you'd sit back today and you'd say, wow, this is helpful because I struggle with conflict. But you may be sitting back today going, I don't mind conflict. I like having a difficult conversation with people. I like to point out when they've done something wrong. You know what, if that's where you're coming from, you got a heart issue too. If you enjoy confronting people, man, I, I'd really encourage you. There's something that maybe the Lord needs to do in your life in the area of grace and love and mercy. So let's make sure that we're seeking after restoration in our relationships. I'll close with this one concept. It's my favorite concept of the whole story. You know what? David named his son. He went on to have other kids. And he had to pick out what names he was going to give to those kids. And I'm sure he was thinking, man, Tom Brady, that would be a good name for my son. You know, no, no, no. You know what he named him? Nathan. Nathan. I I, I know that before Nathan had this conversation with David, I know he realized that there was a chance he may lose his life because of this conversation. He may have thought, man, the king is going to take my life if I confront him with the truth. Yeah, the king may take your life if you confront him with truth. Or he may repent and name his next born son after him. And that's exactly what King David did. He recognized this as a significant person in his life that changed the course of his life. And here's the great thing about it. We know that the lineage of Jesus comes from King David. Guess who it came through? His son, Nathan, that side. It's crazy how God will use things that Satan wants to destroy you with as the very thing that brings healing to your life.